Welcome back to Perspectives. This is John Benzina of KPMG. And I'm Tom Kyo of AMA. Today's episode features an industry leader from the private credit space. For the past 25 years, his firm has been helping government agencies solve complex problems and drive social impact by creating innovative financing products and services that support a wide range of federal, state and municipal government programs that promote the economic and social well-being of families, individuals and entire communities. And in addition to this, our guest has a passion for long-distance road biking and rocketry, where he led one of his teams to a podium finish in a world championship. His founder, his co-CEO, co-CIO of Brevet Capital Management, Doug Montesiolo, welcome to Perspectives. You know, you've had a remarkable career in financial services over three decades with Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, Lehman Brothers, and now Brevet Capital. Uh, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to the industry. Sure. Thank you, John. Um, so uh, as you've heard in some of my background, I started off uh, going to Stony Brook majoring in applied math, and I had a background in software and technology, uh, which I think was leading edge at that time, which uh, looks looks like it isn't today, but uh, it was leading edge at the time. And after a couple of years, I wound, I wound up getting uh, into the doctoral program at Columbia uh, in applied math and engineering department. And one day I was offered a fellowship uh, to work at Goldman Sachs, uh, as you hear with, the, with Fisher Black. And you know, in all honesty, I, I didn't know uh, who Goldman Sachs was at the time. I was very excited to be an engineer. And when, when I got into the finance world, uh, I was actually quite surprised. Uh, I saw a concentration of talented people uh, with skills that were amazing. I worked with uh, amazing people at Goldman in, in my career. Um, and I seen that they were, in many cases, stronger and more skilled than even the people I had worked with in the technology industry. And I got to say, in a very short time period, I was hooked. And, and I quickly realized that, most importantly, you know, I like technology because I could be very creative. And it's a very self-fulfilling when you're when creating programs and, and solutions. And I realized that I could also be equally as creative in finance as I could in tech. But after a number of years, it became pretty apparent that I could have a bigger impact by funneling that creativity in finance and into financial products and solutions than I could in almost any technology company I could have been in. So like I said, I was hooked relatively early in, uh, surrounded by great people in the industry. So then, so then what inspired you um, to create Brevet Capital? I think it's relatively unconventional. You know, it was a combination of discussions that we were having with investors. We started off as an advisory firm uh, and we were solving problems, what we do well. And investors came to us and said, look, the industry is not providing unique uncorrelated returns. And they're looking for managers to do things that are different. And so we were led into it, you might say, by the support from a number of good sized investors. And, and I knew that we could bring our structuring skills, you know, our solutions-based mindset, you know, and, and combine that with capital and in a package in such a way that a value proposition wasn't just a solution anymore. It was dramatically better because we could also bring the capital to put this sort of an exclamation point on taking our experience, creating a solution, and delivering it with capital. And from there, you know, the rest is history. We've been managing money for quite a long time now. 
And so, Doug, in in 1998, then you you founded Brevet Capital, which is a leading credit investment and specialty firm with a focus on on the government sector. So, could you then give our listeners a potted history of of Brevet and what what you've done over the years at Brevet? Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we're we're a credit provider to government related programs, but um, may give an example because. Uh, our, our business is about providing capital to companies in conjunction with a government program. You know, for example, in, in Australia, we work with an electric uh, motorcycle company that is trying to make cleaner running motorcycles that are also, as you can imagine, stylish and trendy. You know, think of them as the, the Tesla of the motorcycle world. Um, the government has programs that are, are designed to accelerate this type of company without diluting their economics. But unfortunately, they don't use it. So this is where the problem is created that we come in to solve. And the problem is the businesses perceive these programs to be too complex, too slow to help, and a distraction to their core business. You know, in short, they're busy doing their day job and busy running their business. So our solution and where we actually provide uh, capital is we created and built a platform company that bridges the gap. We simplify the process. We provide the capital in a timely manner, and we change perception of the program. The government gets what it needs to succeed, right? Gets the company to get the right company to get the money. The government uh, achieves its goals also because it is, you know, hitting uh, target sectors and deploying capital. And our investors get a strong correlated return. So we are working with the company, providing them capital, going through the simplification of applying for the government program. The government pays the company the money, the company repays us, our investors get a good return, the company gets the capital it needs, and the government gets the success in the program. And this is a really good example of kind of how our value proposition, which is, if you think about it, it's not about the capital. It's about the fact that we simplified the process. It's a service. So you'll hear us say finance is a service, right? It's the service of making it easy. Um, and we, we know that we've achieved this because in a couple of years into doing this business, um, we've actually been brought in by the government to make their side of it more efficient. And by making it more efficient, it means um, simplifying their process. It means providing um, the ability to use tools that we have that reduce you know, fraud, waste, and abuse and things like that. Um, we've even taken this as far as working on government buildings. So another tangible way to think about this as an example is um, on the first case, the motorcycle company, it's a large program. We've done thousands of companies that are just like the motorcycle company, help them get access to a government program. With the second example is we help uh, government entities with their physical assets. And in this case, they had a building, a government building. Um, in the capital that was actually decaying. Water was coming into the ceilings. It was getting all over papers and such. They couldn't even store them in the building. And so what we did was we brought a solution that we repeated, which is being able to help solve one physical assets problem by taking advantage of underutilized assets in another part of the government. So we brought, we were able to bridge a solution where we created a company that shows the government how to solve their problem, a hole in the ceiling, and 
across it with a local developer who would have never done it had we not shown them that there are other opportunities, other assets that bring them together. So our business is solutions providing. Now, in that latter case, we make money and the investors make money. And so we create the model, we create the solution, and we repeat it. Um, Again, our business is not necessarily working with the government, but understanding that the government has great programs. And we work with the companies to make it easy for them to apply. As a matter of fact, one of our platform companies is actually called Easily. And it's very well known in the industry because it makes getting programs easily done. Right. And that is kind of our philosophy value proposition. That's what drives the returns, not the capital. And, and obviously, we've had a dramatic rise in interest rates um, over the last year and a half. Um, and sort of how has that affected the type of uh, investment strategy uh, that you're deploying? In reality, in our business, interest rates don't really affect us. It's not that type of business that we are in. Um, interestingly enough, right, I started in, in, this, in this whole career back uh, pre-Goldman days, even when mortgage rates were 18%, and uh, I thought that was the norm, so did everybody else. Uh, a little scary to think about the, that these days, but um, we're not in a race to the bottom on rates and competitiveness. We're in the business of providing value propositions to both companies and government programs. It's that. It's not the money but it's the value proposition, the solution we bring, that the return is actually created from. So whether or not people call it an absolute return strategy, it's done in a credit you know, format, that's the legal agreements, but we're pricing to the service provided and the benefit provided, not necessarily you know, what's this cost of capital versus someone else's, because it's not a good comparable for the business that we're in. And, you know, you spoke about the, the array of different investors that are attracted to the product, um, but obviously also the relationship with investors from the time you started Brevet to now has changed dramatically in terms of communication, et cetera, risk management. How would you describe sort of the relationship and how it's evolved? It has evolved in a very interesting way uh, and one I wouldn't have expected, which was uh, we've moved into being much, much more collaborative with our investors, uh, it's, and it's been growing. You know, given the number of investors that we have, the concept of government, where we operate, um, is often a space that they don't understand or don't know, except for if they're a state pension, uh, even sometimes if they're an endowment, obviously if they're a sovereign. Um, as I mentioned before, they understand what we're doing, and often um, they will bring to us or identify to us places of need for our type of business. And so the relationships become symbiotic where we're providing them returns. Sometimes they're giving us um, reverse inquiry, you might say, as to opportunities that we could pursue that we know are going to be pretty good because obviously they're a customer then or their state or government is. And then we're able to provide, if we can, a scalable solution for what we do in that particular request. KPMG is a global professional services firm providing audit, tax, and advisory services to many of the world's leading alternative investment management firms. To address the specific challenges and opportunities unique to alternative investments, KPMG has dedicated practitioners focusing on hedge fund, 
private equity, and real estate organizations. Our professionals devote their time to provide innovative and strategic solutions to alternative investment managers in areas ranging from strategy to operational and compliance functions. Through the knowledge of the industry-leading practices and customized technology systems, they provide advice and support that deliver value to these organizations and their investors. For more information, please visit kpmg.com. Uh, throughout the course of this series, um, Doug, we, we've had our guests um, talk about uh, you know, alpha. You know, it's been mentioned in our industry about um, you know, to the importance of alpha, particularly when it comes to alternative investments. Um, and many say it's difficult to have alpha without really having the best people. So how do you go about attracting and retaining the best people for your firm? You know, we're looking for people, believe it or not, not from the fund industry. And in a lot of cases, not from purely the credit industry. Now, that's because we're looking for people who have a desire to be a solutions provider and have aligned values with us as to our sort of mission-driven investing process. Um, so we do look for people that we hire that have the same beliefs and the same philosophies. And this holds true across the firm, from the front to the very you know, back of the organization. Uh, in every role, we have people who are in the business um, and they're not necessarily driven by just the paycheck. They're driven for doing the transaction that makes a difference. Um, and look, you know, uh, as a lot of people see when they're interviewing with us, they see our our product, right, which is known as finance as a service, as something that's very attractive. You know, it's not just finance. It's not just credit. And when you look at the things we're doing, whether it's helping uh, an electric motorcycle company in Australia um, get access to a government program that changes their, their path to success dramatically, or we're working with a city to help um, figure out how to deal with the fact that they have holds on the roof of a building and the papers can't be stored there. And those papers are part of the prison and court system and people's trials and, you know, time in jail are extending or even getting worse. Um, they see that it's not just finance that we're solving problems that have a real impact as well. So um, it's not that that is the driver, but that is the intent of what we do. And so we're looking for people who have that same mindset that we do. And, and that, that culture then, if, if I can describe it in that way, that's very much led by yourself and your senior leadership team around you, right? Yes. Um, what you'll find at Brevet is it's very collegial. Uh, and I do have to say it's very much like the early days on the street where uh, we are constantly sharing knowledge. We have the breadth of experience in the firm from 40 plus years down to someone who's right out of college. Um, and we do share this philosophy of teamwork, um, creativity, and doing what you what everybody believes to be the right thing. And we have the mindset that um, there's nothing wrong with doing good while doing well. Um, and that may mean more work. Um, and we're constantly pushing the team to go outside of their comfort zones with relationships and learning. We put people through business school programs and law degrees and, and the like, because we're always looking to have people that have that core belief system and then equip them and train them. And Doug, let's, let's just pivot for a moment and talk about some of the uh, sort of the broader things 
impacting the alternative investment management industry, um, specifically something that's near and dear to you, the growing influence of technology. Um, you know, whether it be innovation through open AI platforms, uh, I know that you coach robotics, um, uh, rocketry is in your uh, bio. So what, what do you believe the impact of all these different um, t- you know, technology uh, tools will have on the industry going forward? It's a, it's a good question. Um, need a really good crystal ball to figure that out. Uh, I think a lot of people are trying to figure that out. Uh, yeah, and I have a lot of tech that I, that I keep current with. Um, you know, I think the emergence of AI is like, I, I view it almost the same as the creation and invention of the first steam engine. You know, very empowering, right? Don't need horses, don't need humans, put a steam engine in. It's a little unstable. You know, sometimes they don't know exactly how to control the steam engine. Um, potentially very, very dangerous, right? Could blow up cause you know, some damage, um, but it's tremendously helpful. Right? The question is, it took a long time to figure out how to harness the steam engine, which ultimately became most of the, the, the engines that we have today. It's, it's, it's very good at being efficient and increasing efficiency. But all these tools fall short on what I think is the most important value add here is creativity. You know, AI can be a helpful tool um, for purvey success, right? We're, we're, we're doing a lot of things that have a lot of scale. We do thousands of transactions, right? So uh, humans aren't great at repetitive processes, and we do already use some big data methods and machine learning, you know, predecessors to AI. Um, but like AI, just like many other technologies, um, they're great for making processes better and more efficient, just like robots. But the true value add is the creativity that comes up with the solving the problems. Because I don't think AI is actually going to ever really figure out how to do something that hasn't been done before. Because a lot of AI is based on what's actually been done and trying to put it together in ways that maybe are just going to replicate the past. But it's hugely value and efficiency. I just don't think really good at creativity, which is, if you talk about alpha, um, that's what alpha is, right? offers differentiated returns. So creativity is a way of creating that. So you, you envisage then the evolution around the machine working with the human as opposed to machine taking over entirely. Yeah, I'm, I'm still hopeful that uh, whether it be the leather cobbler on Main Street in some small town um, or it be the person who's creative, uh, there are still things that, you know, well, you can get, uh, you can get the AGI, et cetera. Uh, I still think that human nature has a unique way of constantly um, evolving past this, you know, beyond its past and maintaining that through creativity. Uh, we got a question, you know, look at what goes on in the space race these days. The creativity is amazing. Um, AI doesn't help much there. And I guess it goes back to is it is it is it is it Fisher Black that says the past is not a predictor yes. of future yes. returns, yes. right? Uh, but but let, let me um digress for a moment and talk about another disruptive trend, which is ESG, responsible investment. Um, and I note you do a lot of that at Breve. 
But how do you then view that, you know, ESG and sustainable investment through the lens of, of what your strategy is at Brevé? Sure. So, you know, obviously we, we follow the industry guidelines for what what is important to stay um, consistent with what the market investors particularly uh, are looking for. But you know, we've been actively involved in incorporating ESG for over 10 years, one of the very uh, earliest players. Um, and it's it's embedded throughout what we do. Um, you know, it's it is a little easier because the space that we're in working with governments has a bit of that inherent in the business. Um, and I guess the only way to say whether or not we're doing it right or wrong, or at least moving it in the right direction is uh, we, we're proud to say that uh, last year uh, we were recognized as hedge fund manager of the year 2022 um, for environmental finances, sustainable investment awards, right? So we, we definitely are doing something right. Um, and like I said, we try to do good while doing well. I think that's just part of the, you know, what's embedded in, in our philosophy as a firm. And as I said, during our hiring in the people. So um, then looking at the wider picture then for the industry itself, and we're thinking about um, the alternative investment industry, we've been asking our guests as well to, to score, if we can, just crystal ball gaze for a moment and indulge us in doing so, Doug. On that scale of one to five, five being the most optimistic, one being the least optimistic and pessimistic about the industry, where do you see the alternative investment industry in the years ahead in terms of that scale of one to five level of optimism? Um, given I worked with Fisher and in uh, very quantitative spaces, uh, and and as I uh, as I heard the best response from a uh, a humanoid, an actual computer, you know, human um, uh, machine, I guess that you might want to call it. Um, the response was always, "It's very hard to have a view uh, because there's so many variables." Uh, one thing I can tell you is that I'm very optimistic. That one thing for certain is that we'll continue to have change, right? And my expectation is that. You know, look around. We're probably going to have a lot more change in the coming months, maybe even years, than I think we've all been used to for probably the last 15 or 20 years. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that we're in the middle of another pivot or um, sort of redirection or direction change of change. Um, as I said before, you know, it, it is this type of environment that we flourish in. And, you know, who knows what the impacts of things like technology, AI will have. Uh, but I think part of this change is going to be a lot more transparency and a lot more um, opportunities that maybe weren't seen or weren't, uh, uh, weren't sought after uh, prior to the, the changes I think we're, we're going through as we speak. And, and when you reflect on these changes, what what do you think uh, are some of the maybe the biggest opportunities or some of the the largest headwinds that the industry is facing? If you had to cite a few, change creates opportunity regardless of when it occurs. Right? I think we've probably heard that from a thousand philosophers over the years. Um, I think that change is actually coming around to the government space because I think people do realize it's probably one of the biggest parts of almost any economy in any country. Um, it's going to require agility and experience uh, to be able to uh, see 
what those opportunities are and to navigate and profit in these changing times. I think old models will go away and new ones will be created. Um, you know, one thing I can guarantee you is in times of change like this is that governments are not going to get smaller. They're not going to pull back. Um, they're not going to change what they've been doing. If anything, I'd expect their influence to increase. It's almost a necessity whenever there's change, they look to bring stability. Um, I think maybe uh, an interesting takeaway I had just recently was I was uh, listening to a quarterly call of one of the large credit funds, and they, they made an interesting statement, which I think is part of this move of change, which is they said, um, the world has thought that private credit was reaching a $1.5 trillion size. But they made a really good statement and said, we don't believe that's true. We believe that credit is actually a much larger industry. That's $44 trillion because credit includes asset-based lending and all these other areas. Um, that's a change that's really important because in that change, government and government-related activities are suddenly becoming in sight. And I couldn't agree more with their assessment that I do believe that the market is bigger. We've been living in it. And I'd be surprised if $44 trillion includes government activities because it is a very large part of the market measured in trillions. So um, I think the change that's coming, what are, what are the opportunities? Um, fund management, investment activities is, again, broadening into a wider definition of what credit is and where that capital can be deployed. And, and what about headwinds? Where, where do you see the headwinds coming from? You know, headwinds, it's interesting because being in the fund space, um, one, thing, one thing you learn relatively quickly being on Wall Street is that doing nothing is actually the worst possible situation. Uh, when things are uncertain and markets are moving is when you make money uh, and when there are opportunities. So whether it's headwinds or tailwinds, um, it's just a matter of perspective. Of you know, if you're a contrarian, then tailwinds are your your friend, and if you're not, then head, head you know, uh, sorry, then headwinds are your friend, and tailwinds are, and if you're the opposite, right? So, uh, I don't necessarily have a view one way or another. All I know is that change is good, uh, change creates opportunity, and change creates improvement. So, I think there's good opportunities and and a positive outlook ahead. Well, let's stay on that um, concept of headwinds and tailwinds for uh, you, you are an avid cyclist, right? Um, long distance biking organizations. And so um, how do the skill sets and, and the sort of athletic demeanor of your sport complement uh, what you do and your professional experience? Brevet uh, itself as a word embodies kind of these beliefs. You know, Brevet as we use it, the French term is from a banking, banking organization called Around the Nerves. Um, it's an organization that precedes Tour de France and is focused on long-distance amateur bike rides, and these are long-distance amateur bike rides. Uh, the goal of the Around the Nerves is to challenge the fundamentals of a biker. It's not a race. It's the personal goal achievement um, to outperform one's abilities. These bike rides are, are unsupported, means you don't get any help along the way. They are 1,200 miles long, so we did a little assessment one day. If I started at Penn Station in Manhattan, it would be biking from there to the Ohio border and back, and you'd be a little short of 1,200 kilometers, and you have to do that in 90 hours. Um, 
And so there's no amount of technology or money that I believe is really going to help you in that. Um, but what they are designed to do is to push you further than you normally would go to achieve a milestone, right? And Brevet Capital has that same belief, right? Regardless of the market conditions, headwinds or not, we look to achieve goals we set out to achieve, right? We do what we say we're going to do. So yeah, it's about endurance. It's about experience. It's about mission. Um, but look, similarly, I'm a level three amateur rocket license holder. Um, and just like Randon Erring, rocketry requires a lot of skill and perseverance. Um, but, but more importantly, it requires a lot of imagination and a driven passion to do what you want to do to succeed, where others have actually failed, right? Because you're trying to push something that somebody else has most likely tried before. I think we saw SpaceX uh, do that on, uh, on Saturday. Um, what I enjoy is that rocketry really liberates the imagination and it encourages a bit of humility, uh, which I think is really important, particularly in fun magic, because not everything goes your way. Um, and I think it's more so than even biking, right? And the difference is, is that success is very apparent in rocketry. Right? When you're doing rocketry, there's no hiding. The rocket's out in the field, it's on a launch pad, you hit the button, it either blows up or it launches into the sky, right? And just like the rest of what Brevet does, we look for absolute affirmation that says what we're doing is the right thing, that we're actually hitting the mark and we're achieving it. And, you know, uh, one of our examples has been you know, we did so well in this government assist programs in Australia that the Australian government turned around and asked us to go help run their program to eliminate fraud and everything and make it more efficient. So that's just like rocketry, right? It's very apparent that it's working. So a lot of perseverance, a lot of skill, and a lot of great outcomes. And I think that's what randonneuring and rocketry sort of bring to me. And I think you'll find some very unique skills in the rest of my team as well. Well, hopefully that rocketry will get you uh, those 1,200 miles <laughs> a little quicker. That would be how great, hours, wouldn't it? <laughs> how many hours a day do you have to bike? Oh, so, so 90 hours is not very long when you think about it. Um, the hardest part, I think, uh, for me when I've done it, done it casually, is riding through the night at, say, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning on the second day and trying not to fall asleep on the bike while you're biking. Um, and that, that is the challenge. So it is, it is a, bit of, uh, it's a bit of what you always learn in life, which is sometimes the simplest things matter the most. Right? It's really about mental state, conditioning, and uh, being consistent on your preparation. And that's what gets you through uh, 1,200 miles in, uh, or 1,200K, but gets you through these rides. We do some of these rides are set up to be in snow and rain. And um, so you know, it's about being prepared and it's about having uh, confidence in what you're doing. Yeah, very, very elegant analogy, Doug, the rocketry and the cycling and how that all ties into, you know, how you think about things at Brevet. So, I mean, you've achieved so much and we've talked about a little bit of this in, in today's episode. So my question, final question, it's two-parter then. So what else is on your is on your list then, you know, both professionally and, and personally? You know, you have rocketry, cycling, any other pursuits outside of Brevet? And then what are your goals then for, for the firm as well? Um, look, I've had a tremendously fortunate career, you know, winding up at Golden when I didn't even know who they were. 
Uh, and as you may have gathered, I'm a big believer um, that everyone has skills. That's why we don't necessarily just look for people from the fund industry or credit. Um, a lot of those things are trainable. The thing is, most people don't really realize they have those skills. And so one of our missions here, you can see we do this with governments or these government programs, is we bring the, the proof that you do have the skills and um, that you can just follow our path. So we enjoy challenging people to embrace the skills that they achieve. Right? And I, I personally love this because I love to see um, the people who don't believe, like everybody doesn't really believe that government programs are going to be successful, right? There's a lot of cynics out there. Um, we're not cynics. No, by far. We are definitely believers. Uh, what really I think we need is we there need more people like us to bring solutions and to show them how to do it. Like you mentioned that that I coach robotics. Hey, let's focus on, on that for a minute. This was a sixth grade team at a public school that's located in Chinatown, Manhattan. This was a worldwide competition it's by city, state, go country, and then worldwide. Um, these, this team was facing a ton of challenges that all the other teams um, didn't have to face for a million reasons. But this team tied for second place in the world, right? This was a bunch of sixth graders who went against, you know, high schoolers and well-heeled people. People had travel buses, okay? You know, we were going down in a bunch of rented cars, right, on these competitions, right? Um, they went further than they ever thought possible. And that team, prior to these competitions, didn't ever think that any of those kids would ever go to college. And, you know, um, the lead student, well, she just entered MIT, right? So, you know, it's that type of success. And think about that type of outcome for a government program, right? When somebody says, and look, you know, it's hard to pass laws. It's a hard job. I mean, we, we, we get pretty close to Washington. That is a difficult thing. It's difficult to convince, you know, Congress to pass laws. And everybody knows the song, you know, Schoolhouse Rock, right? Of, you know, I'm only a bill. Well, take that bill and get it into law and actually then apply it to, what, 380 million citizens, 50 different states, 35 million businesses across the United States. To get it to actually have an impact is a massively complex problem, right? And it's not like they're not trying. I mean, they're definitely trying. I think there's this need um, to have a bridge, right, which is this bridge of, you know, maybe brings a commercial mindset to some of it to help just parts of it. Um, and remember, you know, the, the credit opportunities we were talking about is much larger because of this. Investors are looking for this. And as we said, it's apparent in almost all the investors we talk to that this need is out there. Um, and it, it is interesting. And, and I think that we talk about, you know, the rocketry success of not blowing up. One of the best moments of, of our firm was when we stood before uh, one of the uh, state pension funds panels. A very intimidating experience where you're on camera and it's on TV and you're being um, going through a bit of a questioning by a panel. And one of them, uh, one of the people on the panel stopped after reading all the materials and asking lots of questions and said, you know, we're putting Brevet in this category of public-private partnership, 3P. Um, and I adamantly disagree. And I had no idea where this was going. And they, they 
they stood up and said, I'm looking at this and the amount of stuff that we have done to solve problems for the state as well as good investing, they turned around and said, I wanted to declare that we create a category called 1P, just partner, right? Um, and that's what matters to me, right? So I'm excited about, you know, the future of the industry. Change, I think, is going to create more of these opportunities. Maybe AI will simplify credit working with governments, right? That would be interesting. I love the fact that big funds are now saying credit market isn't 1.5 trillion. There's a lot more of it out there because we're sitting out there in one of those categories. Um, and, you know, as I look forward, I'm looking forward to bringing these solutions, changing the way government's perceived, and looking forward to the constant seasons of change. Because I think that's what's upon us. Thank you, Doug, for joining us today. And um, we uh, really appreciated the insight of your comments and um, um, look forward to speaking to you again. Great. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Perspectives, done in partnership with KPMG and part of AMA's The Long Short Podcast. We trust you found the discussion both interesting and insightful. You can get the latest episodes by subscribing to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, or streaming directly from AMA.org. Thanks for listening.